to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey, Bright Lights, it's Angela, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Architecting. If you are really looking to connect the dots in your career, unlock your success, really move forward, check out my workshop that is all about getting a raise and a promotion. There is a link in the show notes. I'm going to share my story because sometimes it's easy to just say, yeah, 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 these are a bunch of tips and tricks and hacks and whatever else but it may not apply to me, or I don't know how it really works in real life. It all sounds good, but implementing it's a different story, and will that really work? So I'm gonna really share my story, how I majored in something I had no background in, no connections, no one in my family was going down this career path. In my early years, I really didn't have mentors. And I'm just gonna show you how I went from that kid in college who only knew how to cut my finger well with an exacto knife when building models to an internationally recognized and award-winning architect who is invited regularly to speak and publish and who's also a leader in the profession I was president two years ago of the national organization American College of Healthcare Architects this year, I am the president of AIA Cincinnati, and I've held lots of other leadership roles in my lifetime, nationally as well as regionally and locally. So I'm going to really share how did I do this, because I didn't have extra resources in my back pocket. I'm just going to really show how I found and then followed my passion and how it got me from there to here. If you want to learn more about that and see how you can start to do this for yourself in your own life, go to architectingpodcast.com and you can find the link there to sign up. Today, I am really excited to have Shannon Hughes as our guest. And you know I love connecting the dots and pulling in things that you might not think are connected to your career, but end up being the game changers. And that's what Shannon is really all about. She's a consultant and a facilitator. She really has, through her own corporate experience, realized that we need to start having the corporate world be a people-first place. And so she works helping companies recalibrate their culture. Her practice is called Enlivened Studios, and if you work with her, she really talks about bringing mentorship and experiential teaching practices in so that collaboration is easy and fun and leads to transformational results. 
Her background is in corporate marketing and HR strategy. She's also pulling in a lot of techniques from creative practices. And it's going to give you a lot of great ideas on how you can be a catalyst for moving the culture at your own firm. So please take a listen. Hey, Shannon. So great to have you on today. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, Angela. Thank you for having me. I love the perspective that you're bringing. That's kind of a shakeup of the status quo of the corporate world. Can you tell us a little bit more about what made you become a corporate culture expert? You know, what were the gaps you saw and what are you doing that you feel is really shifting things? So I come from corporate. Um, I was in the corporate world for too long. <laughs> no, I I, I was um, I worked for uh, an advertising agency, a recruitment advertising agency for um, for a very long time. I was with them for a while, and the company treated me very well. I did great work there. I grew there. I learned there. But what I saw there, especially because I think there are some commonalities between advertising and architecture, in that. We both service clients with kind of high demands and lots of deadlines, and sometimes they're reasonable and sometimes they're not. And also between advertising and architecture, you know, people in both of those industries are asked to wear so many different hats and to toggle between them, right? One minute it's creativity and the other minute it's analytics. So there's a lot of parallels there, um, which is why I'm really loving being in support of the architecture folks in architecture and the leadership in that space. The where I saw the gap in that world and why I really wanted to do this work is ultimately comes down to psychological safety and uh, openness and what I call conscious leadership. And I'm definitely borrowing that term. There's plenty of people out there who talk and do a lot of great work in the conscious leadership space. But conscious leadership, although it sounds maybe fancy and lofty and complicated. It really just comes down to being a human being at work. How can we break down some of those silos and barriers in a way that makes people feel like they can bring their whole selves to work so they feel like they belong? And when you feel like you belong in a trusting environment, guess what? You're going to do really great work. You're probably going to stay for longer than you would otherwise. Uh, you're going to refer people into the into the practice because you love your job. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but I, I just kind of wanted to humanize the workplace a little bit more and we're not there yet, but you know, we're, we're, we're people like you and me, thankfully are putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. Yeah. I think it's so important what you said about the psychological safety, because especially in a creative profession, you don't know you got the right answer. There's so many different ways to approach a problem, let alone to solve the problem. So feeling like it's okay to fail and okay to try something new, it's really important to success. 100%. Yes, absolutely. Nothing more to add there. I think you said that beautifully. So, you know, a lot of your work is in facilitating team building and collaboration, but you like to tailor that to an individual culture. And what do you find is the hardest part of that? Where are you finding the resistance or the desire to kind of go back to doing it the old way that people are used to? Yeah, you know, it depends on the situation. It can come from a couple different places. 
ideally when doing work like this or anyone in in our shared space who are doing leadership development it always benefits us to start with the people you know the 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 management level the ceos the executives or if we're not dealing with the c suite then if it's a small firm and there's you know 10 people who's the decision maker because at the end of the day those folks are the ones who are modeling ultimately what the rest of the culture is going to be like here. And guess what? Culture exists, whether we build it or not, right? It, it exists, but how can we influence it? And the best way to do that is to start, I am using big air quotes at the top. Ideally, you're dealing with a more democratic setup and structure, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there's resistance there, you know, sometimes those folks that are the decision makers will say, oh, you know what? This is a little touchy feely. We'll do one workshop and then everything will be resolved. And they will sort of kind of kick you down to somebody else who's a little bit more on the ground, which is a great place to be. But if we're going to have meaningful and lasting change, those folks really need to be in the room throughout the entire process because everybody else in the firm or, you know, in the practice and the company is looking to those people, no matter what, right? They're, they're looking to those people to say, are you also buying into this? Because if you are, I am. It's really where that stickiness is going to be. In my experience, specifically in architecture, what's interesting is there's a little bit of a, and it's not, it's not a negative tension. So I'm saying tension in a healthy way as well, but there's a little bit of that tension between folks that have been in, in the, in the business and have, you know, potentially decades of experience ahead of them and folks who are new and they're, they're ready and they're green and they're, they're, they're smart and they're tech, you know, technically savvy and they're hungry. And sometimes there can be a little bit of a, a tension there between folks who are like, well, but, but it's been fine. If it's not broken, why are we fixing it? And the new folks who are saying, well, but, but, but look how amazing we can make it if only we pulled these levers and, and invested a little bit more in our culture. So there can be a little bit of an uphill climb there too. I can totally relate to that because when you are newer, you want to prove yourself too. So yeah. you want to maybe even overperform a little bit, whereas somebody who's more established might be saying, you're making more work or you're burning too many hours on the project. This way works. This is efficient. So I think unpacking some of the, this is how we do it stuff can be tricky. Yeah, for sure. And I know that that's not, that's not unique to architecture. It's just because we're talking about this as a practice, you know, that certainly relevant. And, you know, if you've got the ambassadors, if, if you're intentional in coming in and building the culture and having conversations with the right people and going through the motions that I can, I'm happy to describe in terms of the phases of how this work sort of unfolds, you can get those people on board. You know, sometimes it's a matter of pulling them aside and, and looking to them as the experts. Hey, you've been here a long time. Would you mind if I asked you to really serve as an ambassador for this work? really mean a lot to me and the rest of the people here who look up to you because a that's true and b you know what a great way to elevate someone and make them feel like they're part of it and they have skin in the game yeah that's that's important that they don't feel like you're just ignoring the value they bring because a lot of times that is why people feel fear change is that they think that you don't appreciate everything they've done and you just want to switch it out for the shiny penny that's new and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that really gets 
kind of back to that whole culture and building a culture that feels inclusive, where everyone feels seen and feels heard. What is your process to help somebody model their culture or maybe better define or even tweak their culture? In my experience, it starts with values. A lot of companies already have their values. So it's not always about coming in and and creating something out of nothing, right? Sometimes it's, well, we already know what those values are. Well, great. Let's, Let's work with what we know and take that work and really solidify. If we know what the values are, how do we behavioralize them? What sort of routines and norms and rituals are we going to put into practice so that everyone knows what it looks and feels like to, for example, demonstrate trust? Or what does it look and feel like in this company to be creatively resilient? So it's not just putting up these flashy values so that your website looks great. This is about really identifying how are we going to shift our onboarding program? What are we going to do to build awareness about ourselves as a firm that people want to work for so that we can identify the right talent? What do we need to do from a DEIB perspective? Do we need to bring experts in so that we really walk the walk? We want to do with our retention and and learning and development exercises. But to do that, all kind of bringing all that work into alignment with those values so that those values really serve as a true north and really kind of buoy all that other work. Starts with values and then kind of nice, nicely parlays into some of those shifts and, and evolutions of what the culture should look like here. And I want to also just really emphasize how important it is to do this, especially if you have a small team, to do this in a group. This is not something where XYZ leader goes into a corner office somewhere and then comes out and says, ta-da, we have a culture. That is just not going to work. And I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, some of this stuff. It really needs to be co-created and for everyone to just, let's just, let's get out the sticky notes and have a super engaging conversation where we identify what's really meaningful here. It's a lot of that buy-in or opt-out. If you don't feel like you were part of creating it, now you feel like you can judge it and choose to just not do it that way. Yes, exactly. That's part of the process. And, you know, depending on what the needs and the objectives are and where we're starting and where we need to go, these services and the way that that um, I support my clients can look like a couple different uh, different things. It can be that full-fledged kind of larger strategy. Or maybe it's just a a half day session to really get people kind of on their feet, thinking about what what is most meaningful to them so that that I step away and they're off and running and they carry their own culture and do do the work internally. So it really just depends on what the need is and the long-term goal is um, in terms of, of coming to someone like me for this type of support. So you could have two firms that are similarly sized and worked in the same markets but because they may have different values, their cultures could look very different. I'm wondering if you could maybe give an example of that to sort of help people get their head around it. So you could have two different companies, and I've seen this a little bit more in the startup world, so I might just use that as an example, but it's still similar in terms of a smaller company that's scaling and starting to focus on people. Two companies that are both similarly sized, similar markets, similar clientele, similar types of services that are software-based or tech-based. And one has a 
a little bit more of a masculine culture, I guess I would say, where some of the values are around striving and winning and being big and being bold. So, you know, you might hear words like audacious and win and ahead of the game, right? And then you might have another firm or another organization who has a softer feel, right? They're still appealing to the same types of customers and their product line is is similar, but they're softer or they're more inclusive. And it's not about winning and beating the competition and using all these really hard edged words that oftentimes can be off-putting depending on who you're trying to attract and what kind of culture you want to build. On the other hand, you might have around inclusivity or, and they, they can still be competitive sounding words that mean dominance in the market without having all those be forceful energy behind them. Um, because once you start to put those things into play and then attach the behaviors to each of those two different value sets, you're really looking at very different cultures. Because when you go to market and try to attract talent for the one versus trying to attract talent for the other, and even how you talk to clients and expect these folks to synergize and support their clientele, you're going to have very different results because you're really now created two very different types of vibe within each of these organizations. And it's not always based solely on their values. It's also very much based on the leadership and it's based on sort of what the day-to-day feel of how the, f- the communication flow goes and whether or not there's status and hierarchy and trust, right? Trust is really at the core of how making sure that any of this stuff works in the first place. Right. So certain employees may resonate with one place versus the other, and it will affect recruitment and retention. So you mentioned leadership. And a lot of firms are smaller firms, or even if they are larger, they have to transition between generations of leadership. How can you help a culture transition so there's still some continuity there? I actually have a free download that I'm going to offer your listeners. They are five tips for inspiring a people-first culture. And I'll just give a little spoiler alert. The first tip is to have a CEO chat. You can replace the word CEO with anything, right? CEO, you can be um, principal, right? Founder. But the idea is so often organizations are run and the employees are expected to sort of buy into this mission and vision without providing an opportunity for the principal of the firm, let's say, to literally sit on a stool in front of their people with a cup of coffee or tea in their hands and a box of donuts open on the counter and just tell their story. Why are we here? Why do we do this work? Why is it that we choose some projects and not others? Why did we choose the name that we chose? Where are we headed? Where have we been? Transparency, transparency, transparency. A, that will go such a long way in terms of building trust with your people. And B, it really gives a chance of everyone to sort of have that look back and a deep appreciation for the legacy of the firm. And then to take a breath after having reflected on that and then say, okay, but here we are today. So what do we want to do now? We don't want to lose what we've had. In fact, we want to honor that. So what are some ways that we can continue to honor where we've been and take us where we're going, right? It's a both and scenario hear this all the time is this deep appreciation for light for the legacy of the work and a recognition of wanting to move forward. So it's holding both of those things. And 
the CEO chat is just one of many ways to do that. But I just, I just recently helped facilitate one of these chats and oh my goodness, it was, you could just feel the neurons moving in the room because this principal literally sat on a stool and was just like, here, here I am. Here's my story. And he also talked about how did he go through his own licensing process and where did he goof up and where were his mistakes made and look at him now. And then we sort of, now we're moving forward. Um, but we have mm -hmm. that story to sort of root us in the legacy of where they've been. That's such a great strategy because it humanizes the person. A lot of times we only see people where they are now. We think they've always been that way. We don't see that evolution. So I think that's a really great way to understand that they were where you are at one time. Yeah. And things that looked like mistakes worked out and things that they thought would work out turned out to be failures and how you just keep going. Exactly. I call that, I call that the highlight reel, right? It's sort of a, a nod to Instagram, but it's so easy for us to get caught up in looking at people and thinking, oh my goodness, they have it all figured out. When in actuality, to your point, no, they're human. So they fell down and they got back up just like you did. But to hear it with that level of transparency can be really pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, really powerful. Now, what if we are at the other end of the spectrum, the firm that is starting up, it's small, maybe it's just one person at the beginning, and that one person is wearing even more hats because they're also the bookkeeper, the HR, the, you know, the operations. How do you know when it's time to begin adding these, I call them outside experts, even though they may they may be consultants you hire or they may be employees eventually of the firm, but they're not somebody with an architecture degree. How do you know that you need to bring in that level of expertise rather than trying to DIY it? Even before you reach out to a, a consultant or an expert who's going to come in that you're going to potentially pay a, you know, a good deal of money to, to, to come in and, and help you formulate this culture, there are so many beautiful communities of people that are designed to support entrepreneurs who are scaling their business. I know that for small architecture firms, there's the Entree Architecture Group. I know you do a lot of work in this space. So like, what are some ways that these folks that you're describing, these solopreneurs, maybe there's two, maybe three tops, these people, right? And they're doing residential work and maybe they're even a husband and wife team, right? I mean, I know that there's such a predominant number of very small firms in this country. To do the work, recognize that it's important. I mean, and also not break the bank. I'd say to really do some research and find out who those communities of like-minded people are that are filled with other people who are also in your shoes, because guess what? Not alone. And it feels like you are because you're sitting in your office, just like I am right now. I'm, I'm gesticulating. I'm moving my arms around this room and it's just me, but that doesn't mean that I'm the only one doing this work. Sometimes it takes a little courage, but reaching out to people who are just a couple steps ahead of you, reaching out to communities of people who may have a couple years of experience or bring, bring um, experts and speakers in to talk about various topics that might be really helpful to you. 
That, that's a good first step. And then after that, I would say, reach out to through referral, reach out to folks that you know, who are coaches and experts and consultants that might be able to come in and do some work for you. Um, and depending on your size, you know, sometimes there's folks that will do it for a lot more, you know, an economical rate. That's not going to be prohibitive because at the end of the day, you know, I like to say that Hey, if, if the pricing doesn't work at the onset, let's get creative because at the I don't what I don't want to do is walk away and know that you haven't gotten the support that you need. I'm so passionate about this that as long as I know that we've done something here to move a needle in the direction that feels good to your heart and your business, then we've done our job. There's ways to scaffold that in a way that doesn't need to be so binary that it's like zero to a hundred. There's a thousand steps in between. And it's just a matter of getting a little creative and kind of identifying who those networks are that you might be able to plug into for, for, for help and support. A lot of times people do think I can just do it myself. Yeah. And you do hit a scale, even if you are a sole proprietor where you just can't afford the time it takes you. Plus this isn't your wheelhouse. Right. So it's probably taking you longer and your time has value. Just because you're not necessarily paying yourself a salary doesn't mean your time doesn't have value. Exactly. No matter what scale your business is, what is the most important thing you want to leave people with so that their business can not just survive, but thrive? Well, we just got through saying just a recognition that you're not alone. Despite the size of your practice, my advice would be to keep values and culture top of mind, because even as a solopreneur or a team of two or three, there is work that you can do without big budgets and big strategy to define what that means for you. In six months, in nine months, you might hire a contractor or even partnering with third-party support like contractors of your own or engineers. What does it mean for those people to be entering into your culture, right? That's ultimately what they're doing. Every phone call, every time we're talking to these folks, they're entering into our culture by doing business with us. And there are small things that can be done to support those folks to create thriving um, groups of people. And I'm a sole proprietor. And I, a little while ago, I'm just holding this up. I'm not going to read every word of it. I created what I call my culture manifesto. I used some prompts that I came up with on my own and I wrote what it feels like to work here at Enliven Studios. And so when I'm ready to hire on people, this is what it feels like to work here. It's filled with color and laughter and creativity and swagger and um, making mistakes and joy. So there are, there are ways to, to really keep culture and values top of mind every step of the way, even before you've got the budget and the strategy to back it up. And then when you do, and you are bringing in new people into the culture that, that you're starting to manifest as you grow your business, the way that you invite people into an environment where they're thriving versus just surviving is really allow them to show up and be themselves. Invite open conversation right from the very get-go. Ask them for their feedback every step of the way. Make Make sure that that the, the steps that you're taking to grow your business and the clients you're choosing, the way you're fostering relationships with clients and doing your work resonates with those folks on your team. And the more you do that and the more that conversation becomes a two-way conversation, you're going to have that psychological safety down pat right from the get-go. It's really about that authenticity. And if you 
have this in place, that clear intention before you even start, then you just keep building, but it's always coming from that core authenticity. When we talked earlier, you had talked a little bit about some of the things you do that come from places outside of the business world, like improv, to try and get people to be more receptive to change, more receptive to what's possible. I think it'd be so great if you could share some of that today. Yeah. So when when I left the corporate world in 2017, I went back to taking improv classes um, as one of many things that I was doing at the time. And I'd grown up um, performing and doing improv. It had just been a long time. And I went back and started to take classes in San Francisco. And I went back just for the fun of it. But when I got into that theater and started to put into practice some of these principles of improv, the light bulb went off for me immediately. All the principles of improv theater believe it or not, are very relevant and really have a significant place in business. To connect those dots was really pivotal for me. So although I don't kind of market myself with the word improv or really go to market with that necessarily, I do bring in a lot of those mindsets when I talk, when I facilitate and when I talk about building culture. One prominent improv concept that some of your listeners might be familiar with is the idea of yes and. And the idea of yes and is really important because if you have two people on a stage and one person says to the other person, hey mom, welcome home. Gosh, you're 20 minutes late. Where you've where have you been? Well the the next improviser who comes in doesn't say, I'm not your mom. No, no, no. They yes and they agree, okay, I'm the mom. Okay. Clearly I'm 20 minutes late because that's what my co-actor has just designated me. So it's this idea of yes anding in order to move the story forward. Otherwise the story stops dead in its tracks. Well, you take that to a meeting, you take that to a brainstorming session or any sort of conceptual ideation conversation where you're kind of trying to come up with something new. And in partnership and collaboration environments like that, the yes and principle is so very useful because that's a, such a great way to go from that divergent thinking where you kind of go way outside the boundaries. Let's think really big and get all those notes all over the wall and mess up the whiteboard and think outside the box. And then you start to whittle it down and get a little bit more realistic about what can be done, but you'll never get to that, that new place without implementing much more of a growth mindset and an open-mindedness. And in improv, we refer to that as a yes and mindset. And there are a lot of other concepts from improv that are equally impactful. I sneak it in <laughs> um, to my facilitation when um, when I'm trying to get groups to sort of talk with one another in a way that's going to, again, move the story forward or get to a place where we agree. Or even if we don't agree, at least we're having conversation. You keep that open mind and that curiosity versus reverting to this is the way and I don't want to change and all of that. And I think some of that is also related to being under a lot of stress and just trying to get something done and not wanting to derail the train, if you will. When you see that, because I'm sure you have come into many cultures where they're overloaded work-wise and everybody's under a lot of stress, 
And it makes it harder, I think, to be creative. You're not in your mm. best state of mind. You're probably sleep deprived and all kinds of other things. So I love that this sort of starts to introduce a little bit of playfulness into the situation, which hopefully lets people relax into it and be more receptive. It takes a little practice. And that's, you know, also the job of folks like me who come in and advise in culture is you walk up to somebody and while they're in the middle of doing their work and you hit them with a question that they need to think about, you're asking a lot of their brain to switch from one thing to the next in real time. Now, as improvisers, we practice how to do that and it, it is possible and it comes with some agility and some time. But I would say that in those situations, it's important to create spaces for those conversations to happen away from the deadlines. And I'm not suggesting that we inundate ourselves with more meetings because God knows we don't need more meetings. <laughs> but what are some intentional spaces that we can create, right? And it can be around the lunch table. Um, one of my clients has a chalkboard next to the kitchen and every day they write a fun question on the chalkboard. And sometimes it's work-related, but most of the time it's like, what's what was your favorite Pixar movie? Or what's your least favorite thing about Christmas or whatever. It's these spaces and opportunities for people to get out of the mind of work, work, deadline, stress, and into a more flexible mindset where their amygdala, their fear center, and their fight or flight, get things done, just do the checkboxing activity, kind of shuts down a little bit, even for a moment, so that they can hear and see one another in a more relaxed, connective, and like you said, sometimes even a, a playful way it can be can be really huge. You describe your work as facilitating. How is that different from what people might think is going to happen if they hire a consultant? There is a consulting part and a facilitation piece to my business. So the facilitation really comes in to take the values work, for example. So the way that I kick that off, um, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is it's a half-day session that is designed to get people kind of, I like to say, out of their heads and into their stories, getting people to move their bodies, which helps move their minds, use the office space or the Zoom space in ways that aren't as traditional, where we're just sitting in a bubble or a little box and just doing the thing. Designed in a way that's meant to be very interactive and engaging. Yes, very playful. And I don't want that to be nerve wracking. Some people go, oh boy, she said the word play. Play with intention, purposeful, purposeful. Yeah, kind of getting people out of that norm in order to, um, to come up with ideas that they may not have thought about before. You can't necessarily do that unless you're, again, taken out of your normal every day in a facilitated safe space or brave space, as I like to say. And you're kind of handheld through this experience so that we can come up with things together. And so that's my facilitation expertise. And I use that sporadically through my work as we kind of, the, the team comes together and then goes back out and comes together back out. And then the consulting comes with really the change management and the business strategy and all the components of where we're going to dial up and dial down what's working and what's not working in the employee life cycle across those various touch points, like onboarding and learning and development. 
So thank you so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Lots of really great wisdom here about why we need to be open to change, why we need to focus on authenticity and core values before we do anything else. If someone wants to connect with you, how can they reach you? So my website is enlivenedstudios.com. Uh, I'm also all over LinkedIn. It's kind of where I hang out. So I've got some content there as well. Um, and that's Shannon Dean Hughes. And I also have that um, download for your listeners, which can be found at my website, livenedstudios.com slash people first. And the title of that download is five tips to inspire a people first culture. Everyone, it's always so, so valuable to our guests when they hear what you took away from listening to this episode. Definitely feel free to share your insights and to tag Shannon on LinkedIn so that she can hear about what what you thought. Thank you so much, Angela. This has been such a pleasure. It's so great to connect with you. for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired.